Hi, I'm Anna-Claire Harper, and you're listening to The Return, property and investment podcast, sharing insights and information on key topics from real estate technology to sustainability. Feel free to get in touch or follow recent news by connecting on LinkedIn, Anna-Claire Harper. Hi, I hope you're staying healthy, safe and positive in these challenging times. I wanted to start by sharing a piece of exciting news amidst so much that is terrifying before the podcast starts. My book, Strategic Property Investing, is scheduled to be published on the 30th of April. The content has never been more relevant than in times of uncertainty and change, as it's all about what's changed and changing in the residential property market and what investors can do about it. So if you're investing or interested in investing but not sure how to approach it in these unprecedented times, then it's for you. Mark 30th of April in your diary as I'll be running a special launch promotion, heavily discounted to 99p. Buy it, tell your friends and leave a rating and review. And I'll also be giving away some special prizes for the best reviews received within 48 hours. So you can find out more by joining my mailing list at annaclareharper.com. Now, on to the podcast. Thank you. Hi, and welcome to The Return, property and investment podcast. I'm Anna, and I'm privileged to be joined by Gabriel Mercado, who is the founder of Realize, a leading analytics and data business in the UK residential property sector. So Gabriel has a background in quantitative analytics, hedge funds, trading and equity broking before he made the shift to real estate, where he's developed an expertise in technical data solutions, financial modeling and appraisals. And if any of this doesn't make any sense to you, don't worry, because it will by the end of the podcast. The headline is that he's a bit of a genius with numbers and how they can be used to reflect what's happening in the real world from an investment perspective. He's had an impressive career and Realize is, as I know firsthand, because my business, Anglo Residential, uses it on a daily basis, first rate. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. I'm just thinking that is quite an intro. I hope I live up to it. (laughs) You will. Um, So before I dig into any questions, is there anything I should have said about you or your business that I didn't? No, no, I think you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's a residential data analytics system used by plenty of companies across the UK to figure out where, when and what they should be investing into. And you are among our favorite clients. So Perfect. welcome to our, <laughs> our quite empty office as everyone is all at home these days. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we'll talk about that in a minute. So before we do go into too much detail, a lot of the things that you specialize in will seem quite complicated to an outsider. Can you please explain what quantitative <laughs> analytics, uh, yeah. modeling and technical d- data solutions actually are in ideally in words that my mum would understand. And I think I mentioned to you before, my mum's a musician. So just yeah. base level knowledge, please. <laughs> All right. So I thought of a really, this is probably a really, really cheesy way to try and describe it. I was thinking, well, if, you're, if your mum's a musician, she's probably very, very used to reading music. Yes. And not that I'm very good at music, but I can imagine that you have a series of notes and you have a melody. And it's unlikely that from one series of notes and one melody, you're suddenly going to jump into another completely different melody. So you're not going to go from like C to F sharp and like a 2-2 beat to a 2-4 beat. So you can kind of intuit by looking at written music, I imagine, what's likely to come next in a sequence. And so quantitative analysis is kind of similar in that you're looking at numbers Um, So the the comparison there is numbers versus musical notes to try and figure out what's going to come next. And those numbers could represent anything. They could represent a building. They could represent someone clicking on things on a website. 
they could represent sunlight reflecting off the windows of the gherkin outside. It could be anything. And, and what you're trying to do is take all those musical notes and figure out what is the next note that comes in the sequence. Or take all of these numbers and figure out what's the most likely next number in that sequence. And okay. do something Brilliant. useful with it. So that's quantitative analytics, and yep. modelling is not so glamorous. No, no, modelling unfortunately involves no catwalk work at all. It usually just involves a lot of Excel. But it's it's the kind of the art of taking a physical or conceptual thing and turning it into numbers. So in real estate, we deal with buildings, and those buildings can be represented as numbers, like the square footage or the height or the, the number of flats in a building. These are all things that can be turned into numbers. And they're all related to each other. You can't cram in a thousand flats into a space where only a hundred will fit. There's limits. And modeling is yeah, turning those into numbers and then adjusting it and seeing how the relationship plays out between things. Okay, and one more technical data solutions, which sounds like gobbledygook. Yeah, I've got no idea what that is. That's okay, okay. <laughs> fine. No, it's, I'm pretty uh, sure it's on your LinkedIn profile. Oh dear. <laughs> Do you know about that? Technical data solutions, well, it, it must be technical, it must involve data, it's got to be solving fine. someone's problem. We've got it then. Okay. So we're all on the same page. And a few years back, there was a lot of hype about how data was more valuable than oil, perhaps more relevant now. We're recording in March 2020 in the midst of coronavirus <laughs> apocalypse when oil prices have fallen pretty substantially. But regardless of the oil comparison, data mm. is clearly incredibly valuable across industries. The thing is that not all data is created equally. Mm. What kind of data is valuable in the real estate industry and who for? So have you ever tried looking for something online, like some article that you remember reading, and then you can't find it yeah. because it doesn't exist anymore, or the website disappeared or something like that, and it's that moment of like frustration and a little bit of loss because it's just not there anymore. The ability to record information and data over time, as we now have, even though I think it's still in its relatively early stages compared to where it will be in, let's say, 10 years' time, is quite incredible. I think it's almost comparable to the invention of writing as a way of recording history. And now we have the capacity to actually record and look at nuanced, detailed elements of our own individual history, collective history, business history, whatever it is, and learn from it, which is something that we, we really didn't have before. Then what information is relevant for real estate? There's, well, there's you know, vast amounts of different things that could be relevant, depends on, on the business. I'm not going to kind of ascribe any one particular thing Okay. okay. Talk me through what's changed then in, say, the last 10 years in mm. real estate data. I love that idea of this being the equivalent of us developing the capability to write so many years ago. Yeah. What were investors using before and what's possible now? Stones and cave paintings? No. Well, 10, ten years ago, uh, I was actually still working in finance. So I mm -hmm. actually started working in real estate probably eight years ago, but I imagine it's pretty much the same. So at the time, Generally speaking, there were tools available that could help you model and understand the data that you already had. So things like Microsoft Excel or Argus Developer by Altus and some other systems. But they all relied on you inputting the information yourself. So really just for very large glorified calculators. Very useful, but that's as far as they could go. Now what we have is the capability to amass information from many hundreds or thousands of different interactions, businesses, data sets, et cetera, and provide that to someone. So previously, they might have just been relying on a small sample of information that they had internally. Now they can rely on the information of the sort of entire collective world, whatever 
sector they're operating in. So let's talk through an example then. So if I'm looking at, okay, I want to know what um, this particular property is going to be worth mm. um, in two years' time. Mm -hmm. I'm not just looking at historical property data now. I'm looking at all sorts of other things. But what kind of things would you... Yeah, so, okay, something we just launched recently is an achieved rent data set. So this is actually providing users with information on what rents people are actually paying across the country by unit type and income and age and all sorts of stuff like that. And that's something that's never existed before. And if you're working in the, the build-to-rent sector, the PRS sector, or even running an HMO business in the or past... Or us, just buying rental properties buy, and yeah, buying holding them. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, you, you would have had perhaps the information that you have internally. You might have been able to get some information from various agents. And each group has their own little snapshot. And then it would be up to you to try and assemble it and hope that you've done it right. And I'm sure you did. And then act on it. Whereas now you actually have instantly available kind of everyone's information all ready to go all at the same time to help make that decision. Very interesting. I think it's interesting when we talk about like what would happen 10 years ago. You're totally right. You would speak to a few estate agents. I mean, even two years ago, um, in some <laughs> cases, um, or a, a few years ago. Um, speak to a few estate agents, look at what properties are being marketed at, look at how long they've been on the market. But you sort mm -hmm. of had to collate it all into a spreadsheet yourself and see, oh, that one's been on for 12 mm -hmm. months and that one's been on for two months. So perhaps that one, yeah, yeah, that one looks closer to it. But pulling it all together, you can more quickly you can just get to a decision assess. much yeah. faster than you could before. And so what about big data? What does it mm -hmm. mean? How does it compare with what we had before? Big data is a, it's a sort of nebulous concept. It's constantly changing. If you go on Wikipedia, you can have a look at what the definition is there, and it basically says something like data sets that are so large that normal methods can't be used. But normal methods is something that is itself always changing. It's a tricky one. Like with, is what you use big data? Probably, yes. Like, okay, us compared to what is normal in the world, yes, we're definitely big data. Us compared to, I don't know, what the amount of data that the NSA is collecting off of everyone's phone mm -hmm. records, probably tiny. <laughs> Topical. <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> So big data is changing and mm. normal normality for how one can use data is changing. Yeah, so it's, it's always really... always advancing and always changing. Mm, what we're doing today that we might consider big data if we just remain static in two or three years' time would be almost normalized. And mm -hmm. um, so walk me through some examples on a practical level of how maybe an investor or developer can either make more money or mm -hmm. avoid losing money using data to influence mm -hmm. what their decisions, their investment decisions are, how they run clients, their productivity, and yeah. the, the types of ways that you're... Yeah, sure. So the nice thing about the platform that we've got is that it can be used in a whole bunch of different ways. So you can use it for different stages of the investment and development process, starting off at the beginning when you're just looking around for potential sites or potential opportunities, through to validating something that someone has sent you. So someone proposes a building or a development site, whatever it is, and says, yeah, this is a really great deal. It happens to me all the time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you go, yeah, is it really? Um, and then you can actually you know, check the metrics and see if that makes sense, through to then actually optimizing your assets. So having a look and seeing, well, if we had balconies, does that add some sort of premium and is it worth us doing it? And also minimizing your risk. So something, obviously, with the moment, the sort of stock markets are all crashing and that's likely to have some sort of moderate feed through to real estate because it typically does. So we're looking at how can we help our clients minimize their risks and exposures by identifying areas of the country that are, are quite defensive. So they don't tend to react very much um, to sort of external market shocks. And that's, I think, is really quite useful. 
So we discussed very briefly earlier, not all data is created equal. Mm. Um, in this age of massive information overload, it's not always about having access to more data as having the right data and being able to use it right. So what kind of mistakes have you witnessed others making, whether they're clients or competitors, for example, over or undervaluing different types of data or mm. not using it correctly that others might want to avoid? Okay, so something tell you about loads of mistakes that we've made but something that would be interesting <laughs> yeah, yeah well can go into that something i've definitely seen externally is companies that have typically real estate businesses that have picked up on this idea of data as the new oil and then they think wow we've got all this data you know we're we're sitting on loads of oil for some reason the beverly hillbillies comes to mind now <laughs> <laughs> yeah i uh, don't know why and then you know they're very very defensive about it and they think it's got enormous value and then at some point they sort of open up and you take a look and then what you discover is that they're talking about a big Excel sheet that has been manually inputted that's just recording kind of random bits and pieces of information about some customers in one particular region. You go, well, unfortunately, look, that's not really worth anything because it doesn't have the, the sort of the necessary requirements for big data to be useful, which is it has to be accurate, it has to be frequent, it has to be deep, and it has to have good coverage. So if you think about a really simple thing like measuring somebody's age, so to start with, it has to be accurate. If you're 18, it's no point recording that you're 71 or 12, um, particularly not if you're trying to go to a pub because that won't work very well. <laughs> it has to be frequent. So updating that person's age has to happen at least once a year because that's how we kind of traditionally do things. Then it has to have some level of depth. It's not just enough to say that this person is 18 in the year 2020. You need to know when their birthday is if you really want to get into it, you can go right down the birth minute and then say exactly how, how old they are to the minute. And then just having one person's information is not really that useful unless you just want to get them a birthday cake. But if you have that information for many people, so you have coverage, then that starts to become something useful. And so if, if firms are not considering these four elements, then what they tend to end up having is, is not as well worth as much as they often think it is. Very interesting. So, and talking about mistakes that others have made, so would they then try to use that or just, or would they sort of typically just think, oh yeah, we've got this, you know, hmm. we've got this pot of gold. <laughs> what happens? I'd imagine, and I have seen um, yeah. in my experience, people relying on the wrong data to make investment decisions, hmm. which I guess is where their data has not ticked off the four It's a tricky one, right? So if you're in that position and you have access to information, you probably believe that the information that you have access to. You've got nothing to compare it against and see actually, is it correct? Um, and so you would be led to just make a decision based on what you believe are the facts in front of you. Perhaps one of the advantages of having us out there now is that there is a system by which people can compare at least residential real estate data to, and they can go, actually, well, is, is this sample that I've got representative? Um, are these numbers that I'm seeing correct or not? I hope that helps. Yeah. How can an investor or business owner make sure that their historic data is still useful in times of uncertainty and change? And in particular, mm. times of crisis, we've been through the whole Brexit crisis and mm -hmm. now we're going through in the midst of um, oh, the coronavirus. <laughs> but, yeah. but this stuff is important for valuation. As, as you said, financial markets feed through to residential markets, but it's not mm. just that. It's some tenants who are self-employed may not be able to pay their rent. And there's stuff that yeah. really affects every aspect. I mean, housing market is not a housing market it's kind of a social economic and problem every problem in the housing market is a social economic and yeah, totally. political problem 
So how do you make sure that what you're feeding into models based mm. on historic data actually accounts for what's happening right now? And it's very quick and very scary. Yep. So, okay, well, the first thing to highlight is, which you sort of touched on, but it's a kind of a subtle difference, is that, yeah, no one actually knows the future. It's not possible, unfortunately, other than in very, 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 very tiny, limited experiments where you sort of get like one atom and you knock it and you kind of know where it's probably going to go. Um, for the most part... That feels like unhelpful right now yeah. <laughs> in the context. Exactly. It's, it's, it's sort of unhelpful. So the best that people can tend to do is have a look at the past and say, okay, well, in the past, when this thing happened, this other thing also happened, and it's probably because these two things are related. Then you can take lots and lots and lots and lots of different examples of these factors and apply that into something like valuation. So you can have a look and say, well, in the past, maybe it's the past month, past year, past decade, these kind of prices were achieved per square foot for this type of property in this area with this level of frequency of transaction. And then you can add in things like, and the exchange rate at the time was behaving like this, and market sentiment was like that, and new development was progressing in this particular way. Eventually, you get to a point where it's, it's quite difficult for a person to keep track of all those variables. So one of the things that we've got internally is this valuation tool that brings all that information together. And it, I think on each valuation, it goes through about like a few hundred million different variables to then arrive at a conclusion that's actually pretty accurate most of the time. And it allows us to be a little bit more attuned to the market, particularly right now where you've got a lot of volatility because people are going, oh, okay, is it the end of the world? Is it not the end of the world? Is it overblown? Is it this? Is it that? No one really knows. We all just kind of know like, right, carry on as normal and stay at home. Or not at normal. <laughs> not or not as normal. normal. Yeah. Cancel um, your social life. Cancel, like, I mean, cancel your hope, really. <laughs> oh, man. Sorry. I quite enjoyed hope. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. That's probably very depressing. That was thing. the last thing left in Pandora's box, wasn't it? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, don't cancel that. Okay. Good. Um, okay, that's, that's very interesting. And I think the comparison is quite stark, really, between... So as an example, getting a RICS valuation by an individual independent valuer, it's always been very difficult when we're in a time of change. Mm -hmm. And as an example, assets that we were acquiring last year, there was sort of a note in the valuation saying, well, we're not going to be too sort of confident on this valuation because of Brexit. Mm. And now I imagine, you know, if we had a valuation, I mean, if we could get a valuer to go out this week, um, when we were shifting into lockdown, they would be alluding to coronavirus, but in mm -hmm. a kind of this is uncertainty and we can't quantify it. So we're not going to be too confident way. It feels much more credible to have some data behind it, provided that data meets your formal requirements. Because <laughs> that's always the problem, right? It's when we were doing financial modelling when mm. I was working in the city, it was kind of always rubbish in, rubbish out, I think yep. was the expression. <laughs> be careful. So I have a controversial question for you. <laughs> Perhaps awesome. one, of okay. the, one of the major issues that prop tech businesses like yours mm -hmm. face is that Profits aren't usually reflective of how useful the product is because mm -hmm. there's this kind of huge positive externality beyond what you're able to charge mm -hmm. sometimes or what it's cost to develop. Yeah. And this has implications for you as a business owner as for much of those people who invest in prop tech businesses. Mm -hmm. um, so how can this be reconciled? And we've got the example of WeWork as a super interesting example, but mm -hmm. you've, every sort of vaguely prop tech related and technology related business faces the same issue. So how do you reconcile use with value as a prop tech business? Uh, that's a really tricky one. That really is. It's something that I think we and others struggle with. I think if we charged for our product, the full value 
that clients get out of it. Or even the cost that it's taken to develop, I guess. Well, yeah, or even that. Um, I mean, it's taken years to develop, and mm. many millions of pounds to put it together. And then people can derive absolutely enormous value from it. Yeah. But in the same instance, are they necessarily willing to pay at this point in time that amount of money for it? Not yet. Yeah. <laughs> hint, hint. Um, <laughs> so it is a tricky one, but then you have to factor in things like adoption rates and the learning that we get from clients. So let's say if, you know, as a technology company, and there's, there's this difference between technology companies and real estate companies. And real estate companies look at these tech firms, they go, how on earth can that loss-making business over there be worth 20 times its revenue when we can't get to eight times of our earnings, as an example? But there's a, a massive amount of scalability and iterative learning that occurs within technology that doesn't necessarily occur within real estate. So when a client comes to us and says, oh, can you go and do this or make this change? We have a look at it, we assess it, see if it makes sense for everybody else. And then we go and do it. We can turn things around sometimes within like a month. Imagine in the real estate world, a client coming to you and saying, yeah, I'm not really sure about this room in this building. Can you knock that out and replace it with a swimming pool? You can't iterate that quickly. So the opportunity for scaling within technology is much, much faster, which is why there are these increased values, which is also why various venture firms and private equity groups invest into it um, alongside real estate, which is a much more sort of stable long-term asset. So, yeah. Does that clarify so or is that just add more confusion? iterative learning and what was your other point? That the scalability. The scalability. The scalability. Yeah, um, I mean, it makes complete sense because if I look at, I mean, I'm not developing anymore, thank goodness. It feels yeah. like a bad time to me um, to be building, but it can take years to get planning, let alone yeah. build a big building. There's this other concept that is floating around in my head, which is this world of digital real estate. Um, where effectively land is free. So in the physical world, there is a finite amount of space and land in which you can build things and a finite amount of resources from which you can build things. And therefore, that in itself is somewhat limiting to the, the scale. We can't go and replicate the gherkin a thousand times all over the place. Mm -hmm. But in the virtual world, real estate, the space where you build things, is effectively free. It's all very, 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 very low cost. And the resources available to build things are much more plentiful. Resources um, being what? Resources often being people that know how to build things. Yeah, so yeah. like coders yeah. or? Yeah. software yeah, okay. developers. But they are finite. They are finite, that's moment. true. We haven't figured out how to clone them yet. <laughs> <laughs> Work on it. We're working on it. It's a secret project that's going on. That's very interesting. And we're getting towards the end of the time. So if listeners want to find out more about what you do, what your business does, mm. and how to get in touch, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, go to our website. It's www.realize.com. It's realize spelled with a Y, so it's R-E-L-Y-S-E.com. And somewhere up there, I think, in the top right of the website is a little button to get in touch. Perfect. Cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me and sharing all your ideas. I feel like I've learned a lot in that, and um, I'm sure everyone will really enjoy it. So thank you. Thank you, and hope everyone has a good time listening to it and a good day. Fab. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Return. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review, as this really helps other people to find the podcast.